0: To his left, and he's on his way. Ten, nine, five, three. Cut down.
1: Wonderful try.
0: We have a mole, Jim. Dig's like a demented mole. There. He just busts through the defence. Just watch this.
2: Good evening, and welcome back to the Mollcast. Good evening. Good evening. Konnichiwa. So we all saw how uh, Jack Nina Nienaber won the World Cup single-handedly, and uh, we all realize now that to win the World Cup, you do have to run into people and smash them and be boring and really predictable. I knew it! So Joe Schmidt was all right all along. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the children who are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, to be more serious for a second, uh, South Africa, I think it was, it was a surprise to some people. I, it was not a surprise to me that they were able to compete and win that World Cup. The people who were writing them off uh, before the final in the English media, I think, must have forgotten that the South Africans are the biggest and toughest team and they aren't scared of anyone. And uh, they played so well in the final. I was delighted that they won it in the manner they did, particularly adding on the two tries at the end. Uh, I uh, thought it really it made it a much better win than had they just eked it out with penalties, although they probably would have won the game with just the penalties.
3: Yeah, I, I have to say, though, I thought that England would win. Um, I didn't have my 2020 hindsight ability at that stage before the game. Uh, I felt that England had been able to put together back to back good performances. Uh, I thought they were good against Australia and outstanding against New Zealand. And I expected them to have a tough game against South Africa. But I thought that their back play would cause the South Africans an awful lot of trouble. And they
0: didn't. Whereas because we'd done the predictions for the pot, I had South Africa going out of the quarterfinal stage to Ireland, uh, who'd beat them 38-3 within two years. And I thought Ireland, you know, optimistically, do you think excuse me you have to be would would pick it up and have a good world cup and then not be able to back it up in the semis and go out and then i thought after the semi-finals that england would win and i was sort of frustrated by the fact that i'd got absolutely everything wrong i had new zealand and australia in my uh predicted final uh pre-tournament and i just went you know what my record is so bad that i am going to back south africa because they're underdogs and
3: and Everything
0: trying. else has been wrong so far, and it was it was a really good insight into sort of market pricing and. Rec- the last match is not the next match, mm-hmm. mm. but there was a lot of um,
2: <clears throat> there was a gigantic overreaction to England's spectacular win in the semi-final, and I think the only person who really saw through it was Warren Gatland, who said. Some teams play their final in the semi final. And because they're not France and we don't associate England with being flighty and like sort of, you know, up one day and down the next, France, you know, put in two heroic performances to get to World Cup finals in 87 and 99. And they got absolutely obliterated in the final both times. And like, that's the model England followed, really.
0: Uh, Yeah, it looks like an overreaction now, but it it seemed, it didn't seem like an overreaction after the semi-final, it, it seemed it seemed a justified reaction to Great performance. What was the best match of the World Cup, was what was a brilliant performance, what was an absolute Like New Zealand had looked New Zealand had been the best team in the world for twelve years. And they'd still look the best team in the world going into it, even though a little bit more uh, human than at other times. And they got absolutely dismantled. And all the things that you'd you'd sort of questioned about the All Blacks for like four years, how are they going to replace Carter McCaw, Woodcock, Smith, Nanu, Mayalamu, Mealamu, like all of that stuff seemed irrelevant for the best part of four years. Um and then afterwards, when looking at the third place match you see Ben Smith score try, you go, Oh, how do they leave Ben Smith out? Um So it, it just it, it didn't seem unjustified. All the praise being heaped on England. But some of the praise being like
2: made me fall in love with the game again, and so on.
3: Like, oh, that's a personal response. I think people are allowed to respond to whoever they want to. Like, you know, it can look silly in in um, in retrospect, but I don't think you can deny people the legitimate joy that they that they
2: have.
3: Mm -hmm. Like, I was really impressed with that semi final and that English performance. I thought they were absolutely outstanding, and they they couldn't. Couldn't hit that peak again, um, or even play as well as they had played against. Like they were they were quite ragged against South Africa. You know they had a, a good period up towards the end of the first half when they launched an assault on the South African line, and in my opinion, would have scored against anybody else in the world. They actually put that uh, close-in sort of killer. Series of phases to get a brilliant. Really. There was one incident in which Billy Vunipola took a pop off, maybe about six meters out, coming inwards. He actually got stopped, by Malcolm Marx picked up and dumped on his on his arse. Just going, I've never seen that happen to Billy Vunipola.
0: Yeah, ever. it was. I think I think someone else came in with him, but it was essentially a one yeah, on one. It was, on must, one, it, it well. was essentially yeah. like a one on one tackle when it started. Yeah, and you're, you're kind of going like, "There's only one winner ever." with Billy but no there wasn't yeah. I think um, as well uh, talking about that match I watched Squidge, Squidge's uh, Vimeo sort of analysis and he, he really talks about England sorry of the England-New Zealand match and he talks about how Nettie Jones' team starts and how so many of these matches like they've, they've scored a try in the first 10 minutes 5 minutes 2 minutes uh, and like the Ireland match in the Six Nations being a really good example and also the uh, the New Zealand match of Manitou Alagi and like they kick off and the ball goes into certain and they play a line out and they, they go straight in what, into what they want to do and they're so choreographed and like this was a criticism of Jones when he'd gone from Australia when he'd gone from the Brumbies was that he he wanted his teams to be too choreographed he didn't let them play so like and this is I suppose one of the themes that every political career ends in failure. Um but his anyway, the point I really wanted to make was that um his Australia team in 2003 started off like that where they engineered a situation cross kick into of oh, yeah. against Jason Robinson, which is exactly the matchup that you want and Larkham dropped it exactly where you want. Tuqiri did went well, just went above Robinson as you'd expect and scored a try but England won. So in, in a lot of cases, and it's one of the things, you know, pretty talk about the, the the momentum that you need. And the reason that I, I mentioned that is, uh, I watched a good bit of sort of YouTube clips here and there, and there's an interview with Neil Back. And the first thing that Neil Back said about his 2003 team was like they were psychologically strong. Like that team was ready to win the World Cup. Because I was sort of thinking to myself, how good are England? Like man on man, like all of those all of those players... <laughs> you know, have a, have a, you know, they could all compete at some stage, like Mario Watoji against Martin Johnson. Like, really, who, who do you choose? And I'm sort of going, Jono, I'd always choose Jono. Yeah. But like, just really? Really? Like, is is it that clear cut? And I think the biggest difference is that the Eddie Jones's current English team, like lost in Cardiff, gave up a lead in, in Scotland, or against Scotland, in Twickenham. And that was always the question mark. Whereas Martin Johnson's team had given up, given up, not when Jono was playing. And then, like two thousand and three, they, they were they were ready, and that's the same thing. I mean, the New Zealand team in twenty fifteen, like they, you know, they were ready to mm-hmm. prove just what a great team they were. So that that's a very hard, very difficult thing to. It's intangible. Mm-hmm. You can't tell you can't justify it, but it is one of the hallmarks mm-hmm. I think of of any championship winning or of a lot of championship winning yeah. teams is like it's very psychologically to... very very. See, I
3: would I wouldn't have thought though that South Africa were we're ready to win this at all. No.
0: No, it's a good argument. Like, yeah. al- always invert and... Um.
3: Like, I look at the South African team and uh, the first thing I, I think when, uh, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, is they make the 2007 South African pack look human. You know, the size of... Uh, that 2007 pack was, uh, was enormous at the time. If you remember with Oz Durant, John Smith. Now John Smith and Oz Durant are probably still bigger than their their counterparts twelve years later. But like backies and Victor Matfield, like even backies, backies would be the would be small is smaller than either of the current Springbok locks. And you know, Peter Stefty toit is considerably bigger than Juan Smith, who was just this huge blindside twelve years ago big Smith
0: was. I'm amazed that they're bigger Because then yeah. Schalke and I'd still take to the 2007 pack
3: That was an amazing pack But this pack this CJ pack CJ
0: Vanderlinde was the tight end
3: Yeah this pack isn't uh, This pack isn't going away There's years no. left in all them bar, bar the beast And I don't think the beast There's no reason for him to go away He's just played one of his best matches ever Like why wouldn't he play on It's his choice obviously But uh, you know Between Marks and Malherbe And Kitsoff, These guys are all in their mid 20s uh, mid to late 20s they they have a, a good few years together
0: well I suppose they'll travel around the place if if the rumors this morning are anything to go by DLende and Snyman yeah, are both going to yeah. move to Munster next season I don't you know I don't think they're gonna end their test careers but uh it's good signing for yeah, a two, good signings, two good signings I, I thought D'Lende certainly their best back well, arguably Pallard, but I thought Dindé was their best back, and yeah. I thought for was, was their breaker. best forward.
2: Yeah. Well, just to go back to how much um, New Zealand were beaten by England, and then in the same sense that Africa were uh, heavily defeated England in the final. Mm. But you also have to remember that New Zealand like beat South Africa by what ten points in the opening game of the yeah. opening weekend. Yeah. So it's a very unusual situation where there's three quite clear victories between the three best teams in the tournament against each other, and obviously one is a pool game, so and I'm not saying that New Zealand deserved to win the trophy at all, but like...
3: But yeah, it's a, it's they, a they're, the
2: circular. They're not. New Zealand are... <clears throat> you said they've been the best team for the last 12 years. I still think they're the best team in world rugby. I think they lost a game in a tournament.
3: Yeah, but, but the reason I think that... I, I understand why you think that, absolutely, but... I think it's very good just to base your arguments on games that have happened in the tournament mm-hmm. context. You know that's why you have the World Cup is to establish who the number who the best team in the world is, and once they win it, they're the best team in the just world.
0: Stand World Rankings, Arden would have been the best team. <laughs> yeah. So uh, why why was it
2: such a surprise uh, to certain elements then of the media that South Africa would win the World Cup when? They've been going toe to toe with New Zealand the last four times they played them, and their last and uh, their last four games against England they are two two, and the last one was a very very contentious decision. Yeah, good where, question. Like they, they 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 scored tons of points against them uh, in the, the summer tour where they won two one, and then they lost very narrowly in the Twickenham game. So wh- why did anyone think that like New Ze- England were far better than South Africa?
3: Because in this tournament, South Africa looked uh, that they had a limited attacking plan and there wasn't much evidence because if you consider uh, that they played well against Italy, but Italy are not a good side. So their quarter final, they lost to New Zealand and they looked at, at times like they didn't know how best to attack when they had the ball. They played a very limited game plan against Japan, which was the correct game plan to play against Japan. Move from set piece to set piece uh, and dominate line outs. Then they played an even more limited game plan against Wales. So there was very little evidence that against a good team that they could unlock a good team's defense, especially in a high stakes game where you knew that the opposition team was going to be incredibly motivated to defend well. There'll be a case of if it was man on man on man, I felt wrongly as it turned out I felt that the English would be able to match the South Africans physically
0: I think that uh, I remember discussing after the Cheetahs had played Leinster uh, Leinster won last season it was you know a fairly innocuous match how different the South African style of play is to what we're accustomed to seeing up here and how it's good for the players That's it's one of the strengths of the Pro 14 that for the players they can see another style of rugby So when you're in your own half, kick, 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 make your tackles, put pressure on in the set piece and be prepared to be patient. And you can sort of draw it out that bore analogy of you know the Vortrekkers and circling the wagons and like you know the snipers and like all the sort of stuff that you'd associate with South Africans. And that isn't understood up here because like only South Africa play like that. And I think it's because, like, the New Zealand style of rugby is far more impactful, it's far more sexy. Like, there's no... When New Zealand play in Dublin, there's a buzz. Mm. Like, everyone wants to see the All Blacks. When the South Africans play, like, we think we're going to win. And, like, no one... Like, people prefer to see the Aussies than the South Africans. The South Africans are number three of the Southern Hemisphere, of the big Southern Hemisphere teams, even though, in every sort of measure, they are miles bigger. Not miles bigger. They're substantially bigger to make <laughs> what difference does that adjective make? Than, the Aussies. than the, Aussies. The, Aussies, the, Aussies, the Aussies. The Aussies in our no, the only thing is the Aussies in our in our lifetime have won two World Cups. Do you think that's a
2: remnant of South Africa not being an international team for large parts of the like living memory of people who like rugby these days?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, but I also think it's because like their their style of winning isn't as comprehensive it, it like it, it does it doesn't speak to it doesn't speak to us.
3: Well I would I think and this is uh it's a good thing nobody listens to this podcast apart from uh, <laughs> absolute rugby nauses I believe is the phrase which I've picked up from the Brits. Uh like I think that it to the layman the Aussies are more attractive and everything like there's something I there's something really uh, elemental about how the South Africans play, and everyone knows that it's like it's just such a massive physical test. And so much of rugby is a is a is still about a physical test.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just to go back to my Snide comment about Jack Nienaber earlier on. Is that? Oh yeah. I just think um, the meant his name gets mentioned in the wake of the World Cup ahead of uh, mm-hmm. Rasmus Erasmus. But also ahead of like Peter Stefft-Toy, Dwayne Vermeulen, um, like the lads who actually put in those punishing tackles on the line. There's no system when you're
0: defending your line. You know I, I yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- those a, those two guys, those two guys, stands. those two guys were coaching Munster against Saracens, and you know Razi sort of goes afterwards, and I'm you know I'm sure if I Google I could find, but she, like this is a really tough team to play against. Like you know exactly what they're going to do. And you can't stop them doing it. So they haven't changed that much since playing against Saracens. They just have like miles bigger, better players than what Munster had. Playing against you know a lot of the same Saracens team.
3: Yeah, I also think as well that the last time that we played South Africa, if you look at the team sheet, it's really similar to the team that played in the World mm. Cup final. And we trashed them. 38-3 under the, the very last days of their the previous coaching ticket. I think so, you'll
2: find that everyone was wearing the same jersey that day. Yeah,
0: exactly.
3: <laughs> it was more of like a friend. Like I thought what a friendly was when I was about four or five, that the other teams passed the ball to each other. <laughs> um, but so then Nina Barr and Erasmus have made a huge, huge impact. And I can understand. But I, I do take your point about so, so much of it is the physical challenge out on the pitch laid down and um, and accepted of, on both uh, of, by, by both sets of, of Fords especially mm-hmm. but there's one more thing I can't remember there's a guy it's I, uh, on Twitter called Ben Smith and he, he pointed out the task that uh, Peter toy had been given which was roughing up George Ford and that he pointed out five phases one after the other in which DeToy had either ruffled or like got a quarterback hurry on him or else got a hit or else a sack. Uh so there there was a level of, you know, very intent game planning there from the coaches. And um, you know, we we talked a bit before about the role of um Felix Jones in like assessing players. I believe that was his 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 job was assembling information on teams that they would face and, and I think, you know, that was his his what he brought to uh to the South African coaching setup was 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 in, was in that part specifically.
0: Mm-hmm. I was curious, looking at South Africa, to go, oh, what can you take from that South African win? And then I thought, oh, it's not. It's pretty one-dimensional because you go back to the idea of England beating New Zealand, New Zealand beating South Africa. And we said before the tournament that probably any one of the top eight teams could beat the other on a given day. Now, as it turns out, that wasn't true. Any one of the top three teams could beat each other on a good on a given day, mm. um, and any one of the next five could beat each other, six could beat each other on a given day, but they don't play each other. Be-
2: yeah, it, you know, France
0: France beat Argentina, and yeah. that was sort of it. Argentina were giving England a good game until uh, Lavanini got sent off in like 17 minutes, and then you are gone. Like, well, that's over. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the things that I took away from it. Um, to sort of ground myself in the inevitable brouhaha that happens after Ireland play or what lessons can you play was like solid set pieces. Um, I I couldn't get away from them. Um, I said New Zealand lost four line outs in a row against England in the first half. England's scrum was pulverized in the final. And I said the Aussies didn't bother, Like the Aussies didn't engage against England and couldn't score enough tries. Mm -hmm. But they avoided set pieces. Um so really for South Africa set piece proficiency all the way through amazing was was brilliant now that's not enough because our set pieces against New Zealand were really good like our out was really good our scrums were really solid and we got we got annihilated um but i think that you have to stay in touch which is scoreboard pressure i think it's really difficult going behind um i think like wales came back against a 14 man france but australia england wales south africa australia wales new zealand england england south africa they all lost like if you go behind early 6-0 7-0 9-0 12-0 like it's it's hard Mm. it's hard to dig yourself back which is why i sort of the fact that that 2003 england team could go down against the aussies playing at home in the first few minutes and they won and that that's like they were a great team um I think that idea of attack wins matches, defense wins champion, championships is really big, um, and that I, I think that speaks to physicality. Um, pretty good on. We get on to Ireland later, and we sort of talk about them. It says like you need to be able to win ugly at some point. That idea of like South Africa, Wales, New Zealand against South Africa in twenty fifteen, England against France in two thousand and three, like of, of big champion teams who can play really good. Sometimes you just have dog matches mm-hmm. and, you, and you have to be able to win those dog matches. Um, I think you need to have really good halfbacks. And then I was there going, you know, every, everyone <laughs> everyone knows that. But to quantify what that means, like Fafter Clerk, so looking at final, semi final, quarter final, Fafter Clerk, 76, 80, 73, Pollard, 380s. In terms of minutes? In terms of minutes. Uh, in the big matches. So like he's, so Faf is off
2: the pitch for like 15 minutes combined in three matches. Yeah. Yeah. And Pollard's off oh, the like Oh, mean, Pollard's not P- off at 11 all.
0: Eleven minutes. Eleven minutes. Pollard's there all the time. Uh Aaron Smith in 2015, 71, full game, 64. And the 64 match was the France match. Carter's on the pitch all the time. The anomaly was Weepu, uh Weepu and Cruden. So was 49 in the final, 56-72. He just wasn't fit enough to play for the entire match mm. and Cruden 33 because it to our smashed him Patey played the entire semi because they had no one else left and he played 47 minutes but Colin Slade started so again like if you think of the lack of control that New Zealand had as the best team in the world playing at home like with a ref that wanted them to win it in 2011 it's because they're halfbacks yeah. where like they weren't there and then you go back to 2007 Faurie Dupree's on the pitch for like 380s Butch is 80, 76, 80 Dawson's on the pitch for 80 minutes, including extra plus extra time, 73, 68. Wilco's on the pitch all the way through 2003. And then in 1999, Gregan and Larkin play 580 minutes, and Gregan plays 79 minutes in the final before Whitaker comes on for a minute. Right? So, like, I mean, there, there isn't, with, with the exception of New Zealand in 2011, limping over the line, quite literally in the case of Richie McCaw, your best halfbacks play everything. There's no second, like, again, with the exception of New Zealand, playing at home as favourites. And that's a very big, that's a very reasonable sample size. Yeah. You know, that they're
3: all the professional World Cups.
0: With, with, different, with different coaches. Yeah.
3: So, I, think I think it's a really good point. And I think some of those things, um, like, they sound like the obvious things, but those are fundamentals. They are the first principles. And you, you have to keep them in mind. You know, it might be that you're hammering away with things that most people already know, but they're proven.
0: But I, so, I suppose the, the, this, like in an Irish context, is, oh, they should have given like Carberry more minutes or it's time to put in Carberry or like, you know, we needed like, you know, Cooney should have gone. And they're gone, no. Like, there's only two half-packs that are ever going to play well enough for Ireland to compete. And that's Murray and Sexton. And the fact that like, Saxon, I thought, did play well. Murray didn't play as well as he could. But, like, no one else was going to do it.
3: Murray Murray was up and down. Do you know that? Like, he played really well against uh, Scotland. Mm. I thought he played really well in that game.
0: Played well against Samoa. Uh, and
3: he played really well, really well against Samoa. Like, it, it's not like he laid a complete egg in the top. Tr- and I'd say the same for for Saxon. During the, the pool stages, Ireland were really good when Saxon was on the pitch. And, um, you know up up and down when he wasn't. Now both players played poorly in the in the quarterfinal. You know, but they were so did so many players.
0: But but in in the context of who wins your world cups. like your backups aren't going to do it again with the exception of New Zealand in 2011 playing at home. I think that's as fair, the best team fair in the to world. say
3: that's an outlier though.
0: Given given yeah. the, given the the
3: other numbers. Mm-hmm ninety nine, two 2003 2007 2015 so that's
0: that's that's one of six yeah and they limped over the line yeah so uh, that's I think that's really important and the other one is the place kicker like in in the knockout matches of the um all the way through this the team that won all the knockout matches scored more penalties like New Zealand scored one penalty to our zero penalties in in a match that like the most one-sided of those matches all the teams that won, like, you, so there's an argument again. What does that mean? Oh, you've got to score tries to win. So, look, I, I didn't look at tries. I think the team, though, I did look, I didn't write it down. I think the team that won scored more tries than the opposition, they also scored more penalties. Like, in big pressure matches, the ability to get kickable penalties and then to kick the penalties, that wins you matches.
3: Oh, yeah, well, it like, it wasn't a knockout game, um, but a big pressure match was Ireland and Japan. Um, given the I I, I felt that like
0: two tries to one
3: two tries to one and a lot of kickable penalties for Japan which they kicked
2: yeah so um, can can you put your finger on why those three uh, most decisive games in the tournament between between England, South Africa and New Zealand why they all ended up being quite one-sided do you can you think of any reason why that happened
3: I like we watched uh, the New Zealand South Africa game in the fans on. I've only I've only seen it once. Um, to me, South Africa looked really impressive in the first twenty minutes, and it looked like the All Blacks were rattled. And then New Zealand scored two tries, and then all of a sudden it looked like South Africa were rattled. Um, that's that was my memory of that game. And that was. Uh, as I say, I haven't watched it again. I don't know. I I, I think that um, the inability to, to back up a, a very impressive performance. Like when New Zealand beat Ireland, I think Sean Fitzpatrick said that was the best they played in four years. Mm-hmm. When England beat New Zealand, a lot of English you know, serious we fans said so that's the best I, they've ever seen England play. And I, the, the overall impact of the match uh, of South Africa, England, is more to do with winning the World Cup than saying that's the best South Africa I've ever played. But I I don't think there's been that much comment on the, the actual game as a performance from the South Africans. It's more to do with that they won the tournament and they mm-hmm. turned so much around and it delivered so much for the country. But, I can't recall South Africa playing that well since Jesus well, like the, they were very good in the first test in 2009 when they beat the Lions very handily but I I felt that this was a more uh, I felt that this was a better performance than that
0: and in the second test where they went to try down in the first no, few minutes from, from Luke Fitz which is like one of the one <laughs> of the most incredibly intense matches yeah. I I would guess that the some of the teams that have won the World Cup have been like all the teams are um the great teams. The 2015 New Zealand team was is the best team I've ever seen. Uh 2003 English team I think had had gone over the crest. They were they were descending but they still had all the component parts. Like they still had John o, they still had Wilkinson. And they pretty peaked only earlier at that season, you know. Mm-hmm. So like they they weren't that far off, and they were a very to go back to what backy was saying a very psychologically strong team, uh, full of decision makers, full of captains. Like you read Colin Meads' book about playing with that New Zealand team of the sixties, and the amount of guys on that team who were provincial captains who who knew rugby, who were able to make decisions on the fly. Now that that sort of situation is is gone because the um, There aren't, like, you know, there's only five Super Rugby teams. There's only four Irish provinces. Probably only, like, New Zealand, sorry, probably only England have that opportunity to pick so many club captains, or France, with the top fourteen. So, Mm So, sorry, it still does exist. It's rare. It's rare that you get a team that's as uh, as, as strong, as confident, as has got as many decision-makers in it. And I think I would bring it back to, at the moment, what what you started off with, with with knee-neighbour. And what we refer to, like, Squidge was saying about Eddie Jones, like, and how dictatorial, what Ireland are like with Joe Schmidt. Like, at the the moment, I would say that the coaches are the most influential. Mm -hmm. And it's only when you have, like, a really, really great team that your players can be sufficiently influential and successfully influential. So I think that that New Zealand team in 2015 had it. I think that New Zealand team in 2019, when they started to chase, and they didn't have Richie McCall, and they didn't have Dan Carter, they didn't have Conrad Smith, and they didn't have like Tony w- Tony Walcott, Kevin May. like all these guys who like have like dozens, hundreds of caps. Mm. You're not going to make the same quality of decision.
2: Yeah, I think I think certainly New Zealand started to chase that game too early. And even T.J. Paranaro taking a quick tap penalty. Yeah. Got it down the line.
0: On, 70, on 76 minutes, but it, you're just to sort to of going... Like,
2: you know, say, let's say, uh, ideal circumstance, they score convert a converted try and have, what, three minutes to score a penalty, earn a penalty or score a drop goal. Or score another try from anywhere, you know, with Button mm-hmm. Barrett. And they took a quick tap in the middle of the pick. Just like, well, what's that ever done for anyone?
0: Yeah. There's still four minutes. And, like, yeah, we, we yeah. talked about this again. Like, we talked about this last year after the Toulouse match at the Leinster Toulouse match I think it is like with the way the laws are at the moment if you get a penalty the game the game can't finish mm-hmm. like you get a penalty you kick it to touch and you get 30 40 50 60 yards if you get an incredible like you, you get the ball again you're on you're on the attack so to tap a penalty in your own half with 4 minutes to go is it's a mistake. It's a mistake. It's, it's a poor, poor decision, particularly when your previous touch finder brought you from your own half up to the just the edge of the opponent's 22. Yeah. And New Zealand played so much rugby in the last 10 minutes in their own half when it doesn't matter what what England do. It really doesn't matter if England give away a penalty because like it's not enough for New Zealand to put them under any sufficient pressure, whereas if you give away a penalty in your own 22, all of a sudden you're defending a five-meter line-out. Yeah. Where somebody just has to come up yeah. with some play or like somebody has to, like Bode has to break a tackle. Anybody has to break a tackle. Like, you know, Sevilla has to break one tackle and you're underneath your own sticks kind of going like, shit, if you get this conversion, we're five points ahead playing the All Blacks.
3: And McCall's All Blacks were the biggest, like Houdini's of all time. Yeah. And not just against Ireland, but against Australia, other teams who had them, you know we'll had them pinned yeah shoulders down two and three quarters it's
2: a classic will
0: they score they always score kind
2: yeah
0: of, yeah well and
3: then they kick out and go to length
0: Late, i mean pretty never tired but before the scotland match we, we got an audience with richie mccall so des cal was throwing him up the questions and i gotta say like mccall is so impressive when he speaks and there's there's nothing that surprising that he says because it all is makes, makes such fundamental mistakes and like he doesn't really play it to his gallery he sort of says like you know Sexton and Murray are good players like you trust your good players like they're you know those guys have proven um, and everything that he says he talks about like building tor- you know building around a tournament and you're sort of imagining that guy in a huddle and the Aussies use the same, say the same about Lina and Far jones like you, they go we're going to do this this and this and we're going to score and it would happen. And the guys are going, like, these are prophets. Mm. We believe so much in these guys. Michael Liner tells us we're going to do this, this, and this. We are all going to commit 100% to this because it'll work because he's, or Far Jones is saying it.
3: Yeah, it's a very interesting because it's, it's not quite a self-fulfilling prophecy, but, I'd, I'd, or is it, or is it, it's nor is it circular. It's not successful because they believe it's going to be successful, but it does play an element in it that, they have faith in these guys because these guys have earned their faith. Yeah, that's circular logic. But that's some sometimes how the you know human brain works, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think uh, with regards to the World Cup in general, one of the things that I uh, very seeing all the seeing all the teams compete on, uh, over you know a short period of time and you know essentially a level playing field is really interesting in that you see how differently rugby can be played um, and that there's different ways to play the game strategically, tactically, different ways to coach the game, different ways to bring on, um, to select a team in the first place, different times to bring on substitutes, different ways to play every position. That that to me was one of the, the most enjoyable things in the, and one of the elements I'm looking forward to most in the coming season is to... To see um to see how the Six Nations reflects what was shown in the World Cup. Six Nations isn't too far away now.
0: And it, yeah, because like e- even that idea, um South Africa went into the six-two split and everyone's oh, you know, they're picking six big pick fours and gone, they're gonna get away with picking two backs because they've got a scrum half who only plays scrum half, and Fran Stein just covers everything else. Hmm. Between Willie Larue and France, Dane, Dane just covers everywhere. World Cup winning center can play fly half, can play fullback, and Larue just goes out of the wing or, or uh, bah. am um, am um, um, sorry if uh,
3: if anybody like if if, if somebody needs has be to get injured yeah
0: if needs be, yeah. and you sort of go how many how many other teams have a guy who covers six positions?
2: Yeah, well, France could probably do it if they pick someone who could play nine and ten on the bench. Yeah. That's a
3: very good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah they could.
0: But it, it, it? it's very hard to pick a 6-2. Yeah. But like, if 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 you can, because you're Fran Stein or someone similar, or you've got two guys who can do it between a half-pack and you can play six, you can play six forwards on the bench.
3: Des just kept on, he kept on talking about it. He was so taken with the idea of replacing your entire front five. He thought like, wow, that is, like it, it, sort of the logic of him struck him so much. He was thinking like, that's where South Africa is strong. Mm. That's where all your strength is up front. Yeah. Get your strong. And that's where all the wear and tear is. Like, I, I, this is a tangential to that point. Like people saying, oh, Gary Ringos always played three matches in a row. Yeah, it's a fucking center. So what? That would be my take on it. Like, Gary Ringos could have played all four matches. Uh, he, like, Jerome kind of played every single game for the 2011 All Blacks as a blind side. Um. You know, it's a tournament. It's a one-off thing. The uh, oh yeah, the but guy- he hardly stay
2: on his feet. <laughs> <laughs> the
3: g- <laughs> but the, the guys who take all, who, who need to be replaced, are the guys who take all the impact, who, who are in, especially the scrum, but any set piece, like a mall is a very hard-working thing. So, like, he was able to clear out all bar, because like, that's where their strength is in terms of their depth. He was able to clear out this pack. So you just have to face two different packs of huge men, one after the other, and they're going to be fresh ass. Like he, he subs his props off really early. Yeah. Which I, from the moment that they went to an eight-man bench, whenever that was, it came in at different stages in different tournaments in the Northern Hemisphere. Remember the French had it a year before anyone else. I couldn't understand why you wouldn't just sub the props at halftime if you have like good props. Why do they come out and play an extra 20 minutes? Why does one fella play an hour and the other play twenty minutes? Why don't they just play a half and a half?
0: Like yeah, because okay. I'd be I'd I'd have always thought. Well, what I would consider more traditionally is you just keep your best players on the pitch for as long as possible. But when they're absolutely knackered, yeah. But uh, say for
3: example, if you go back to you can say it now with Kill and Healy, or two years ago with with Healy and and McGrath. You're on well. This guy's last five minutes are obviously going to be worse when he's played sixty minutes than the previous guys. Like he, he's only going to play twenty minutes, and his twenty his five minutes that he didn't play would have been better than the five minutes. Five that, minutes of the other guys, yeah, and probably his ten minutes would have been better. Yeah, yeah. So if you have the strength,
0: use it. Which, go back to the idea of the halfbacks. So you keep your best halfbacks on for as much of the 80 as possible and you swap your front five as, as much as you can. Like if the you, scrum half has to cover if, a lot of ground. If you have a debt. lot of
3: involvements. Yeah. So I could understand if you have two equally good scrum halves. Uh, but but the, evidence, the evidence
0: would point that well, you, don't, you, you well, don't. You've made a good point there. You, you've, you don't have, a,
3: have. I only have an idea and you've pointed out that the evidence is like, well, no.
0: And, like, what I would take from the evidence is you don't have two equally good scrum halves. Like, to win the World Cup, you need two really good halfbacks.
3: France, if you see, France have had two good scrum halves in a number of tournaments. Now, they didn't really have a well, they didn't good scrum half this time, but DuPont was clearly great. But in other tournaments, they've had, like, Yashvili and the uh, Clermont scrum half, who played out half in the final, 2011
0: final. Uh, para, begins yeah,
3: with a yeah. You know, who would have been two very good... Well, they were. And they played together as mm. halfback partners. But it's, a, it's an interesting point. um And I, I was talking before there, like, you see the way that, for example, when they start with uh, Bonappi I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, who I don't... Like, you might have missed one line out in, in the entire tournament. Uh, and then they bring on a completely different hooker, Malcolm Marks. that there's two guys in the same team playing the position entirely differently. I think that to me is, was a really interesting part of the World Cup. And uh, like, it wasn't just those two hookers in the same team played it differently and every, every other hooker fell into one of those two. Categories. Shota Hori plays the position completely differently than anybody else. And Cody Taylor plays it differently than Shota Hori, or Ben or Malcolm Marks. All of these different ways to play positions that you're exposed to. And Jamie George plays it differently than maybe he he's more like half Marks, half Banap, but like there's there's no oh, this is the way you play hooker.
0: Mm. Yeah.
3: You know, I wouldn't even say that either of this said African hookers were the best hookers in the tournament. <laughs> uh like to me, Hori was
0: he was the he was the icon of the tournament, yeah. and I think you know, were I to pick a team, I'd have to have himself and Leach on. Every time Leach got the ball, the crowd would be like
3: Leach, and Leach which is another was a great example. Like Leach to me is the absolute classic blindside. Like he he his his running, he hits things at pace. He always hits things at pace, whether it's tackling or running or rocking. Uh, he gives, he brings momentum. Then you have a guy like Peter Stefft-Toy, who's this enormous physical monster. Then you have another guy playing six, like Artie Savaia, who plays it like a half open side, half running back. Running back. You know these guys playing the com- the p- position completely differently. And the, different this feels, is different the, styles.
0: And it's one, it's one of the questions about coaching is, do you have a style of play and you make your team play like this or you sort of go, you pick your team in order to play like this or do you have players and you tailor your game plan to suit the best talent that you have at your availability? So if you've got two world-class front fives, you just swap them early in mm. at halftime or early in, in, the, in the second half and you use those 10 men to wear down the opposition and tire them out. Because the evidence points to well, like you do the you do the latter. You well, I would always be of the opinion you play to your player's strengths rather than you play a game plan that you know you think is a good idea, but doesn't doesn't suit the talent at your disposal.
3: Mm. And that's that's one of the the items that cropped up immediately in the aftermath of Ireland's loss to New Zealand, Ireland's destruction by New Zealand. So much, so much of the of the, um, the comments on that afterwards focused on the fact that New Zealand fielded two playmakers, and that's the way Ireland had to go. And the question then comes: Well, they had two playmakers to pick. Like they would have had Dam- Damien McKenzie was the, the original option that they yeah. wanted to play at fullback. You know, that was that was where that came from. And then saying, oh, so many, uh, why couldn't we play Carberry and Sexton together? Um, you're going, well, the whole point of Joey Carberry moving, Joey Carberry wants to play number 10. That's what he said time and time and time again. He prefers to play 10 rather than 15. And the whole point of him moving to Munster. this is quite a long, involved thing. So it's like, obviously there's a huge... Patty Jackson's shaped hole in this conversation. Mm-hmm. It became like, like there was an awful lot of people calling for Carberry to play 10. Mm. And then after we lost, it was like, oh, why didn't he play 15? That sort of I I, I find that <laughs> argument uh not that it's invalid, but it's it's so loaded with hindsight that it's there's so few people who are making that argument all the way through from Joey Carberry shouldn't move. You know, from the year before, it was like very few people were saying, Joey Carberry shouldn't move. He should just play 15. You, you said it. You've always said it. you thought 15 was Carberry's best position. But uh, it wasn't exactly popular for a year. And then in the aftermath of one game, it was.
0: And it's only because it's only, it's only I looked up the numbers for top class, for, for the halfbacks yesterday, that I, I was amazed how much they're on the pitch in, in knockout mm. matches. So this idea that like your second choice out half can be so for example, I also then I was curious, what about Raj and um, what, what about Raj and Sexton? What do they have to do? Because the argument I heard was, oh like you know the Six Nations was the time to blow Carberry and give him more minutes. And I was kinda going, Really? Is that the case? Like, the thing is, your out half is your rainmaker. Like, your out half is the guy who, if he's going to be a world-class, like, you don't blood him. He tells you what to do. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's, like, he's, he's QB1. Like, it's it's the nature of the position, right? So, so Raj and Humph shared minutes in 2003, and Raj came out at the end as the starter. At that stage of his career, Raj had led Munster to two Heineken Cup finals, two more semi-finals. He'd won the league in 2003 and he toured at the Lions in 2001, right? And this guy wasn't guaranteed to start. Mm. He was sharing minutes. He wasn't guaranteed to play the full 80. In 2011, Rog and Sexton shared it. Sexton started it. Rog finished it. So Rog came out as the top man. Sexton at that stage had won 200 in cups as a starter. He'd started 13 games, played over a thousand minutes when Leinster won the league in 2008 and he would tour with the Lions in the next tour. But that, that hadn't happened, so forget what, what happens, right? Even at that stage of his career, as a double Heineken Cup winner, and like he'd done in Istanbul to win it in, against Northampton, mm-hmm. he still couldn't guarantee. So like this idea that, oh, like Sexton's finished, he's too old, tell Johnny Sexton that. You would have to rest the Irish number no. 10 jersey and the Leinster number no. 10 jersey out of Johnny Sexton's cold, dead hands, as far as Johnny Sexton is concerned. He's not giving it up. And he's by far the best number ten in the country still. So, like, part of part of this is just the frustration of, oh, they should change everything and they should get rid of. Like, I mean, you're not in a position to change everything and get rid of it because the quality doesn't exist. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I also think that you know, there's an emotional knee-jerk reaction to losing so badly in that quarterfinal, and it there there's the temptation. And uh, knowing you're unknown to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, you know, get rid of all the players over 30. They won't be there in four years time. And, you know, this is a time to concentrate on, you know, sacrifice the six nations. And you're going sacrifice six nations to what? There's no guarantee you're going to get any progress if you sacrifice the six nations. My idea would be that you tend, that you may, not maybe, that you reward form, More rapidly that you place less emphasis on past performance for the vast majority of players that uh you essentially evolve the team almost up to the day that you go into the tournament that if a player is playing well and another player a player in the provincial setups is playing well say for example tom farrell's playing particularly Mm -hmm. well at the moment Mm -hmm. he just gets brought into the the irish setup they have a look at him and then they go, well, his last game was really good. Gary's last game was bad. Gary drops to the bench, Gary Ringrose drops to the bench and Tom Farrell starts. And you see how that goes. So I think that you, you give young players, you surround them in a team full of players in form and experienced players. You don't uh, perform wholesale surgery. That you The lessons from the World Cup that you take on is that You can't afford to pick so many players (coughs) on the basis of past performances that you have to reward for when and as it happens, and that you're always building the team. I think that the idea that you can build for a tournament four years away is an exercise in futility. I think it's, I just think it's impossible. I think there's so many variables in, in that period of time. And if you look, for example, at Erasmus, I think Erasmus, you know, built a World Cup winning team in two years. That's when he took the job. Mm. So my ideas about uh, would be to re- resist knee-jerk reactions. Sure, there are some players who have come to you don't you don't ignore things like age profile, like those. Any any coach doesn't ignore those. Any professional coach can't ignore those. He can't ignore injury histories and things like that. But I think that you just continually try and build a successful team that wins as many times as they can and that you, but you do bear in mind that the danger is in getting wedded to certain players and it it can blind you that you only remember their best performances and not their current form.
2: But uh, it, something there strikes me that uh, you've often said. Um, so England coming back from the 2015 World Cup where they were at their lowest ebb. And you often said that basically the team that won two round slams following that was the exact same team with Maro Oje in it. So they didn't throw the baby with the bathwater after their low ebb. And then you also mentioned earlier on today, South Africa getting beaten 38-3 by us with like a team that isn't entirely, like it's not very distant from, it doesn't have Chess and Colby, but like not that distant from the team yeah. that just won the World Cup. Um. So it does uh, it, it points to the fact that obviously a new coach can uh, revitalize a lot of the same players uh, with a new approach and just obviously just a, a change in the mood in the camp yeah um, and I definitely think there's uh, I think the Irish team sort of went stale over the last yeah, I think over you, the last year I think
3: you can't look at it in any way but that
0: wooden grant I for England. Because we took the so wheels off. One last time, two we challenges. took the wheels yeah. off at the end of at the end of the second one in yeah. match ten. I was gonna ask so are, are we talking about Ireland? We're talking about this sort of Well we've we've actually uh, segued into it quite smoothly. We're talking about this generic team about who you might <laughs> yeah. have to do. <laughs> We're t- <laughs> asking for a friend here. We're yeah. talking about Ireland, aren't we? Yes. Oh, are we? <laughs> <laughs> now we here we are. Um so uh
2: what the fuck happened? <laughs> <laughs> okay, here, here's a maybe devil's advocate thing. There's too many players who had like all the merit badges from winning a Grand Slam and beating New Zealand that they couldn't be dropped. They were undroppable. The team froze, not not froze on the day. I mean, the team calcified in November 2018 when they are like, all right, lads, we're fucking brilliant. This is the best we've ever been. Let's go and do it at the World Cup and get to a semi final. get that monkey off our back. But, like, the world fucking turned, in, like, for a year. Yeah, then. well,
3: that's, that's, to me, those are all uh, symptoms rather than causes. Right. Um, like, the, the, they, they got to a quarterfinal, okay, in the first place. The reason that they lost to Japan and they ended up with, you know, we would have ended up facing the World Cup winners in the other quarterfinal, so it was out of the frying pan into the fire. Um the reason that they lost to Japan wasn't because they played the same. If you watch that game again, and that, which is which is what I would suggest to anybody, rather than just reading people's reports of what happened in the World Cup, is just watch the games. Like uh, we offloaded like crazy and played a pretty uh, adventurous game in the first half against Japan, and when we lost when the game got tighter, we lost confidence in that. I felt that without, uh, Sexton on the pitch in that one, that I, I, I felt that there, I said this before, you know, so forgive me for repeating myself, but our, our, our 10 and 12 couldn't really offer any particular, um, couldn't move us around the pitch. Um, and then Connor Murray didn't play a smart tactical
0: game. And Best didn't ask him to. That yeah. was uh, th- that was the thing we we were discussing. It. We were on the train station, or we were in the we were outside the train station in Kakagawa that evening time. Yeah. And I was giving out about Murray, and I was giving out about Best, and I was giving out about Schmidt. So like we lost the game to my mind because we lost one scrum, we held it in there for too long, they got a penalty, and we lost two line outs because we didn't bring Dev Toner.
3: Both of. Um, of penalty line kicks those two line hits
0: and we couldn't like we couldn't stop their momentum we couldn't build our own momentum because of those and I went that was Schmidt Murray didn't kick it up in the air like he's Murray's you know world class player why didn't we change the game and put Jacob Stockdale you know contesting kicks against them and Rory Best is the one who in 2011 two World Cups ago said it was disappointing against Wales we couldn't think of it on the fly and you go ah Rory like, that's fine eight years ago it's fucking really disappointing that you couldn't do it eight years later as the captain. Now, that's all that's all gone. And
1: but I but, mean, but you're right. But, but
0: but I think I think the Japanese match was sort of an anomaly of the other four matches when Sexton was on the pitch because you can sort of point at the Japan match and go, oh well, Sexton didn't play. You know, if Sexton played, we'd have beat the Japanese. And you go, yeah, well, maybe maybe we would have. Uh, and then we just we'd have played the Springboks. So yeah, that would have worked it, um, but against we're England, like, against correct, Wales, against, against New Zealand, Murray and Sexton were on the pitch. In fact, all our players were on the pitch. Like I'm probably the only person in the country who thinks playing Robbie Henshaw fullback was a really good decision, and I'd have, I'd have stuck with it. But but I like that. But I I read one article and I've I, I shared it with you guys and we discussed about it and it was he sort of he, he brings around to Pochettino because he's talking this about is Pochettino Oliver, Oliver this, this is Oliver Kay's article written in The Athletic talking about Pochettino but really the focus of it the guy who captured my interest was Jurgen Klopp in year 6 of seven. Dortmund year 7 of Dortmund yeah. and he'd signed a 5 year deal 18 months beforehand he'd won two Bundesligas he brought them to two Champions League finals one, one, one Champions, Champions League. League was it one? yeah against Bayern at the lost Wembley yeah I thought there was another one anyhow and now he is the messiah like he's champions league winning coach he's he's, he's absolutely rejuvenated liverpool and you sort of think to yourself like this man could do no wrong and he was broken and like hummel's hummel's talks about like the uh, hummel's hummel's quote is we've too many 50-50 games and we won't win enough of these either that first leads to a loss of confidence, then insecurity, then to nervousness. That's Hummels in Klopp's final year of charge, and a claim it, it came to like the, the season review, and Klopp just goes, he was with Zork and some other guy like running the club, and he just goes, guys, we're all thinking the same thing. It's time for me to go. And what the, what are you saying about Pochettino? What he says about like Mourinho, Guardiola, but like particularly again about about um, Klopp mm-hmm. is that. It just fatigues. It's just it's so intense. It's the same message. The players get a bit older, but they, they've heard it, and the, like the decline is spectacular. And I, I I read it and I went, "That's Ireland." That is the closest description I have seen that hasn't been written. It's not like it's the closest one that I haven't seen that hasn't been written. It's the closest description of. Ireland's twenty nineteen and it's about Jurgen Klopp's Dortmund team. And like without doubt, Jurgen Klopp is a great, great coach, great manager. Without doubt, like Joe Schmidt is a great mm-hmm. coach. And like Joe Schmidt will come back into rugby and he will be successful. But he was not successful in 2019. And I was and am like, how were you to know? I don't even think it was like the fact that Schmidt was leaving. I, I think that was coincidence. I mean, Jesus, if you'd players it, want to do well in the world. Yeah.
3: Like the idea that, oh, I'm gonna gonna hold my best stuff back for Andy Farrell. That to me holds no like work. Klopp
0: Klopp was meant to be there for another three and a half years. He'd been successful for the previous six. It mm. just it just stopped working. You do see
3: it uh like I, I'm sort of reminded of well not sort of I am reminded by of Bill Walsh all the time by Joe Schmidt's tenure. Now Bill Walsh won his last championship, but by that stage with the Ford North he was a nervous wreck. Like he was crying after all the matches and stuff like that. All Mm. of them, you know, he's a nervous wreck. He'd invested too much in them. He'd game planned every, every millimeter of every player and every play. And that, that sort of self-imposed pressure, you know, it it takes an enormous toll.
0: Um, My, my favorite story, because people talk about, oh, Joe Schmidt's too intense. And then you read about like about Eddie Jones, what Eddie Jones is like when you go relentless, curious, dictatorial. That's many Jones going well. Like, they're all like that. Steve Hansen is like that. But anyway, my Bill Walsh story, my favorite Bill Walsh story. No, this is like a lot of mysteries. No one else likes these as as even as much as me. No one else likes them at all. <laughs> Bill Walsh is out. He's out for he's out for dinner with his wife and another couple. So there's four of them. They're in a Japanese restaurant. And they're all and there's and conversation at the table. And the conversation is going on. It's pretty good, pretty good night. For three of them, Bill Walsh isn't saying a word. And his wife turns around and she goes, what is it, Bill? Fourth and two. And to my mind, that is that is head coaching in a nutshell. What is it, Bill? Fourth and two. They never stop. They never turn off. It's football, football, football. Rugby, work, rugby, rugby, rugby. Talk about these days. Yeah, that's it. And like, that is exhausting. You just got to get the exhaustion at the right time.
3: <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I
2: questioned on this podcast, many podcasts ago. I said, the simple fact of it is we peaked in 2018. And I think you said, there's no such thing as peaking and just win the next game or something like that. Or that's that's how England look at it.
3: I'm a big, well, I'm a big believer in that. I'm always, I think that, um, well, because I, because I'm, I always think about people talking about World Cup cycles and I think that the reason that England won in 2003 was just because they were just tried to win every game. And oh. I think that gives you a great resilience and it gives you a great, that every game is important. And it is wearing, but if you're consistently picking players based on form and that nobody is, uh, I wouldn't say complacent because I don't think players get complacent, but they get settled or they get convinced that they belong in a team. And I think that if you can rotate players in based on form, you're not always like just dropping lads for the sake of dropping them. But if somebody's playing well, you put them in the team.
2: I I think one of the things that happened in 2018 was that Ireland had such uh, an Im- Im- imbument of fresh blood that people didn't really know an awful lot about. In that they got James Ryan join the team, who's like going to have probably play 100 games, barring you know an injury. Jacob Stockdale, who's like this try machine who like had improved even significantly from when he was under twenties player. And uh Jordan Larmor who people were just like just saw that the try against Monsters, were like, Jesus, this kid is
3: And the Forgotten Man, Andrew Porter. Porter.
2: Andrew Porter. Yeah. Uh who like came in and rather than rather than being like subtitled being a position, it was just like uh oh, this guy's is this guy as good as Tig? Obviously he's not, but like, you know, he's in this in the same uh, you know, how, say, how does that translate in the podcast uh, the shrug emoji <laughs> <laughs> um but you know we, we had this like imbuement of all this like these players that no one had any tape on who also, but also just they give life to the squad as well they give fresh encouragement to the squad and excitement to the squad um and that came at a very specific time and Lee, was, levy
3: was another guy not as young as those guys yeah. but yeah, yeah he, he levy had sort
2: of like he, he got his first international goes because he had just been a little bit held back by injury. But those guys have come through in a particularly good 2016 under-20s team, Larmour of the year following, and then Levy, as I said, delayed. I
0: think that, I mean... I, I, I think that's a very good point because I was thinking, again, going back to that 2003 English team, that like Wilkinson was such a... Uh, um, like a gravitational, like he was such a jolt, but much younger than the most of the guys... Like he was, he was still playing ten years later at the top level for Toulon. Like so, like whereas, whereas guys were on the way out,
3: Martin Johnson retired almost directly. Pretty after much, World
0: pretty Cup. After, like Wilson came in and gave them a job. Right, so Wilco was around during the '99 World Cup, so it wasn't like he was just it, but like he was he was playing number ten, mm-hmm. and it 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 was right. You know, like it sort of gave them two gravitational fields in a way that like. Like now, crushed World Cup for the best part of the next four years until he came back and dragged England to another World Cup final. But to have that sort of um, energy and galvanise, yeah, his 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 group. But that's you can't just conjure that out. And I think, like, I mean, it was it's one of the things. Des was when he wrote the article about the. Um, the New Zealand team in, in 2015 and the, the relative inexperience of of the wingers, yes. of, of the back three. The
3: whole old, uh, yeah, and
0: yeah. Milnes Gunner, Like, it, it's almost as though part of the attraction that they brought was youth and enthusiasm. And they were so far away, they couldn't really do any damage. Like, I mean, they could... New Zealand wingers are all sort of... They're all better when they're younger anyway. So, yeah. like, I mean, that, that's when they get all their tries. Twenty
3: they're past it. Yeah. But,
0: like, you look at... Yeah, but, like, you look at Rocca Taco... You look He's at all right, of them. Yeah. Like you look at Savia, Wilson, Lomu, the uh, like they all score shitloads of tries before the twenty-five.
3: Mm.
0: Go pre-25, post-25 and look at Kiwi Winger's tries. Oh, it's, it's, it's massive. Crazy. Yeah. So that was that was a great time, but just sort of go like from a selection point of view, these are the guys like this is where we're gonna get our energy from. This is where we're gonna get our buzz from.
2: I can't believe we like, didn't get that they, buzz from John Klein. <laughs>
0: but they were they were they were so good. At that time. So yeah. I do think that that sort of selection mix gives you, um, now I'm trying to think who Wales got their buzz from, and I can't, but I, that maybe, I mean, Gaddy, I do think Gaddy is the sorcerer well, of world rugby. I, I do think that guy, Gaddy the is the consistent overachiever.
3: Man, the match in the quarterfinal, Wainwright.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's He was out of the blue. Um, plays for the Dragons. Yeah. How could he not be an absolute fucking game changer? <laughs> yeah. So but I,
3: I, I think that's a very good point, but I will say that those players, um, they were brought into the side, three of them, Porter, uh, uh, Ryan, and, and started all toward Japan. Um, like Ryan famously played for Ireland before playing for Leinster, but not before playing for Munster. Um, Took the worst of my myth. Yeah. And also, if you were to f- try and find the equivalent players in the year of leading up to the World Cup, they didn't make themselves apparent, yeah they weren't they weren't there
0: and look i I think there's more than one thing so just to, just to drag it back to that idea of like getting fatigued and it was it was inevitable that it was going to happen because it was the end of the cycle like it wasn't it wasn't just that I yeah. think I think I think there's I think there's a large degree of that, but it was a tremendously Frustrating. Okay. I remember writing after twenty fifteen, like we had this absolute hang up with the world with border finals. Even the yeah. way that we phrase it, we want to as like you final. we want to win, we want oh. to get into the semi, and you're there, going, Jesus, couldn't win it. Could we not say like we want to be a top four team at least? You're sort of giving yourself the scope to win it. We yeah. want to make a semi final. You're going what and get fucking knocked out in the semi final? That shit as well. Like no one cares you get knocked out in the semi final. But the twenty fifteen thing that I wrote about was that losing meekly to. Argentina losing meekly to New Zealand. The fact that it's a quarter final, it's the meekly bit that kills us. Mm. Yeah. Like if we went down against South Africa in an absolute ding dong. Yeah. we like
3: six players injured in the first. Yeah, couple. I was going to say like players, <laughs> players being
0: carried off the pitch in a one score game. Like South you'd be Africans sitting.
3: Africans lurching off the pitch.
0: You'd be sitting done. there. You'd be sitting there going, "That was deadly."
3: We're a great little nation.
0: Yeah. Go, like, Thank
3: God Gay Byrne founded us.
0: But that but that's it. And I, I think the thing the thing that To my mind, I mean the thing that killed me was looking at the first fifteen minutes and going, "Games over, games over, deja vu." Put on the tea, the
2: game's over. We're
0: losing every single contact.
2: Put on the fucking tea. I was at the fucking game. (laughs) I was just slumped in my chair when 17-0, Going like, "That's the game over."
0: We're losing every single contact. Five
2: hundred fifteen euro. The game is over.
0: Via go go. Via went went. (laughs) <laughs> Every single contact for the first twenty minutes in yeah. another quarter final, and that's that's the bit that kills. Yeah, it's the bit that we limped out yet again. It's like can we not just play well? well
3: I didn't feel we limped out against Wales. I felt we got
0: uh, against Argentina. We did.
3: Oh, against Argentina we did. Yeah, uh, against Wales I felt we got masterclassed out of it. That was that one. Seemed to me it, even even now I uh, look at how Gatland did the same thing as as Eddie Jones did. They scored like. One and a half minutes in, Shane Williams got in, in the corner, great try. But then they set traps uh, for.
2: For Raj to run into gaps. Yeah, for two smashed.
3: things. Firstly, the, the low tackling from Horberton, um, Palatow, Lydia, but also that um, tall fella, second row, Charters, who had 29 tackles on the day. Like, I don't know how he low tackled, but that was their one thing. And then the second thing was they just cut out outside Raj. It's like, oh, you have a cut there. I think, I
0: think, I think when you look back at. Our team with oh, Sexton back. on yeah. the bench with Drico and Paulie starting, and you go, God, like France were shit in the semis, New Zealand were shit in the final, like that. That is 2011 is still like oh. and we had, we had Shawnee, Heaslip and Ferris in our background. Like yeah. I mean, 2011 is the one that got away, but it doesn't hurt as much as 2015 and no, as 2019 well, because we meeked out. We didn't yeah. we we didn't we didn't put up any sort of fight in, in either matches and, in the oh, sorry la- in 15, 15 and 19. And yeah. Yeah. Like, both matches were gone after 20 minutes. Yeah. Now, we did put up a fight, tech, yeah. like, in in, in in 2015. Like, 2015, I'm always yeah. optimistic. I thought, geez, we're going to come back here. It's pointed out to me. Nobody comes back <laughs> from yeah. that sort no, of score. No, one
3: team in 20
0: does. One team in 20 does, yeah. But but not us. Zero teams in green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But
3: I also would just, one, one last thing I would say is that that I think there was a stagnation of the game plan and things that other people have said and, and have hung a lot of greetings on. Like, I don't I don't disavow it. One of the things which is noticeable in the second half when we start playing poorly against Japan is that we do go to one-out runners. And a simple thing um, is that Murray doesn't lead the one-out runner with his pass. He actually passes to the static man rather than passing in front of him. That's, that's a symptom of when we start playing badly under you know under oh. two coaches under kidney and under Schmidt is that you go to a one out runner and uh, the second symptom is that more players go into rucks which are already one forwards especially so they'll go into a rock yeah. uh the pejorative way is to say they're hiding it's I don't know why they do it uh, so you have people passing typically it's the scrum half really a lot of it goes off nine it's the scrum half passing directly at a player who's static Rather than leading them onto the ball by passing in front of them, and the second thing is forwards who aren't needed go into rucks.
2: Maybe it just feels like a way of doing work when you're kind of like a bit
0: lost. You
2: don't. Really I think do. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And I think just 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 what I think about it. I think Schmidt, and this doesn't explain the Six Nations, but after they got eviscerated by the English in Twickenham, said my team is emasculated. I'm never going to let that happen again. We're going to go physical. We're going to go intense. We're going to go like meat grinder rugby. But then. He didn't pick a meek grinder team. And we talked about it after the English match that like if you really wanted to be daring, you could pick your back fight, like your front row as you have it. And then uh, Ryan and Toner for your set pieces and James and Ryan and your back row of Hendy, either CJ or Jack and either Omani or Byrne as your open side and just going, do you know what? We're not going to get beaten up. There's going to be a lot of things that we can't, there's going to be some things that we can't do, but we're going to pick our biggest possible team because that's this is the way they that to play. That's the way
3: we play, yeah. Which is which is something that was never explored or explored at the you No know, not. Like he did play O'Mahony at open side in, in the World Cup. Some I felt that Omani's had some really good moments at open side mm. against Russia, especially. I think I think the position suits him. Yeah. Um gets him involved an awful lot. Uh Ty Byrne, I think, is a really good six.
0: Oh, I d- I'm talking about playing him at 7 though yeah I'm playing Hendy at yeah, well, you look yeah you,
3: exactly, well that's a very interesting thing because you look at what he brings and you're going well he's the best player over the ball in Ireland that's the key role for the 7 he can also link he's also extremely fit he's one of these fellas who's just as fit as a fiddle um, so you're going yeah he's tall but that's okay he's brilliant over the ball that's the only drawback to feeling a tall man at, at 7 he's quick he's really fit he's got good hands good link player and I think that that's something which, yeah, you're right. It was never explored. Um,
0: now it was very short notice to do it, but you're like, we couldn't have done much worse.
3: Yeah. and We could have lost
0: to Scotland. Sorry.
3: Yeah, we could have done worse. Yeah. Uh,
0: not much, but not much worse.
3: Um, so I think that under a new coach, yeah. under a new coach, who's, who's never been a head coach before. Uh, I'm really quite fascinated to see, because we've, you've talked about it, you talk about it because you have coached a lot of teams about selection being such a key part of the role as a coach. Uh, the other key part of your role is always ringing people. <laughs> Peter, we have a game on Saturday. Uh. I can see you, I'm at your front door. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't think Andy Farrell's going to have to ring everyone. Like, but um, That's what my cat's there for. Yeah. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he, how he selects teams. Like his his experiences of a coach have been under Lancaster, uh, under Gatland, and under Schmidt. So you know that's a really good experience, great learning. But he's never coached a club team. He's never been a head coach for a club side. Um, so he's he's always had a saying but He's never selected a team. Um, so that's going to be really interesting to see what what model he takes. Whether he is the kind of guy who goes, this is the team. This is how I'm going to pick this team to play this game. Planner, he goes, oh, I can fit this guy in for this game. I want us to play like this against this team. I want to consider this fella. Maybe there's a fellow I like. He's young. He mightn't be. He mightn't have paid his dues at Interpro rugby yet. But he's a player I like. I'm going to pick him. Like
0: um, Harry Byrne,
3: Harry Byrne, or Baird, or Josh Witcherley, or Aaron Sexton or tom farrell or
0: whoever or james hume or whoever it yeah. Is. yeah yeah
3: um and go well i like i like his moxie he's going into my he's
0: going to be in my my squad craig casey craig casey's going to be my scrum of half for yeah. four years time i'm going to pick him now mm. you know so he whether he whether he, he does that so that's why
3: uh i'm like i you know, was such a, a fan of schmidt i'm really really sorry from that it's ended like this, but he's. He was a, like a, he's been a superb coach for Ireland he's laid a lot of really good foundations and it's going to be really interesting to see how much like a lot of those foundations are sort of immutable I think because he's been backed up by Nusa4 so much they've been built they're not really going anywhere but there's the thing at the top is the selection of a team um, game planning as well but selection is a key so that's a whole new that's a whole new era coming in and I, I'm excited about that
2: yeah good to be excited about something so let's leave it there